Well, it is a rich joy for me to be here with you all. Todd is such a treasured friend. I echo the same thing that he has said just in terms of our friendship and love for one another, and uh, it's just really a tremendous joy to be here. This is actually my second time here. I visited once before, which was an incredible time uh, when I accompanied my dear friend Pius Muzingu, missionary to Uganda, who uh, spoke here, and you guys received him so uh, well and graciously and sent him off so generously, and uh, certainly he is uh, grateful for that. He's doing the ministry in Uganda. He recently, uh, he's been ministering to a number of universities in the Kampala, Uganda area, which is their capital city, and uh, yeah, just really a tremendous time there, and uh, it's exciting. So please, if you happen to remember it, uh, remember Pius in your prayers, and uh, that's just been a a dear, dear um, opportunity, and again, we thank you. But I just was struck when I came here the first time at just how loving and gracious of a people and a group that you were. And it's really uh, just, uh, it was such a, such a wonderful time. And it's really, uh, when Todd invited me to come here today, I just leaped at the opportunity because I couldn't wait to get back to be with you all. I do bring you greetings from the elders of Grace Community Church and uh, from the Grace Advance uh, Board. Uh, this is, uh, you know, really one of our uh, just treasured Grace Advance Churches, one of the very first, if not, it was the very first wave of Grace advanced churches that went out, and uh, just to see the vibrancy and hear the reports from Todd about the ministry here, it really just brings a great joy to our hearts. So I just commend you on the work that you've been doing in the community for the gospel, and just urge you to excel still more in that regard. Um, again, uh, when Todd invited me to come preach, uh, uh, there, there had been uh, just a sermon that really immediately sprang to mind that I wanted to share with you all, and that was on the topic of friendship. And the reason for that was because, again, this friendship that Todd and I shared, I just uh, it really was what came to mind. So why don't we uh, go before the Lord in prayer? Uh, Father, we're so thankful to you for this time to uh, just come... Uh, Come before your word. I just pray that every word I speak would be in accordance with your word and its principles. And to the extent that it is, Lord, I just pray that the people would be receiving it with humility and uh, just be uh, subjecting their own lives to the word of God. Uh, Thank you so much for the friendship that Todd and I have. I count it such a rich blessing. Thank you so much for the vibrant friendships I see in this church body and uh, just their graciousness and love for one another and their love for you, Lord. And Father, I just pray that we would keep that first and foremost in our mind, our love for you. Thank you, Lord. Pray you would give me strength and wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we're talking about the topic of friendship, um, and specifically I'm going to be talking about friendship from the Proverbs, uh, I I have a great love for the book of Proverbs. It's probably one of my very favorite books. Uh, The author of many of the Proverbs was uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, human being that ever lived. And, uh, you know, in terms of what Proverbs are, I just want to intro that Proverbs are what are what's known as wisdom literature. And uh, when I say wisdom literature, it's, it's, just, it's a series of profound and succinct sayings, sometimes even humorous sayings. And what happens with wisdom li- literature is uh, the notion of wisdom is that it, it tends to lead to good results more often than not. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, the, the wisdom literature and, and these proverbs, they're not a, necessarily a guarantee they're, they're not even necessarily commands in many cases, but it's really wisdom for living. Uh, you know, even an unsaved person could take the book of Proverbs and try to follow the book of Proverbs and could probably lead, you know, on some levels externally a very successful life. 
But of course, uh, if you have a saved person, a Christian, earnestly trying to do the same thing, then all the, all the better. And I think in these cases, we as Christians need to remember that uh, it's so important, as I prayed even, just remember our heart motive. And that uh, you know we can sometimes tend to look at Proverbs or even look at a number of commands in the Bible as a kind of a rigid set of rules that we need to follow. And certainly obedience is appropriate, but we need to do it from a heart of love for the Lord and not uh, just let it become this kind of like recipe book, if you will. And so I think as we talk about these proverbs and these principles of friendship, I just want you to remember that, that our heart's desire is always to want to honor the Lord. Again, today's lesson is on the topic of friendship. And when you really talk about friendship, there's really a wide variety of viewpoints you can have. Some people view friendship very casually. Certainly the, 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 the website Facebook does, right? You know, it's, it's a very casual view of friendship in many ways. I'm one of the people that's responsible for event invitations at my Bible study, so over the course of time, I have accumulated 1,521 Facebook friends over the course of time at current count. And to be candid with you, I doubt that I've even spoken to a third of them in person this year. And uh, so that's something, you know, just to be mindful of, like this casual notion of friendship. On the flip side, some people view friendship very seriously, extremely, there's like this ultra close circle of, inner circle of trust, and uh, you know, just uh, there's very high expectations sometimes of people in this uh, kind of group, and uh, you, it can even cause hurt when someone falls short of those expectations. Like, let's say you weren't invited to some event, or you weren't consulted on some, some matter or some decision, and you know, when, when you've got a person that has this really, you know, kind of uh, high expectations of friendship in that regard, sometimes you know, that friendship can uh, cause, there can be trouble or drama or it can just go off the rails, you know, if you have this maybe at times even unrealistically high expectations of friendship. But when we study the book of Proverbs, I believe that a picture of true friendship emerges. And again, it's a very practical book. In many ways, it can be taken, as I've mentioned, almost like a how-to guide. Uh, but uh, in the course of studying for this message, I, uh, I studied every proverb that touched on the topic of friendship in those 31 chapters. And there were a lot of them, a lot of verses. We're not going to go through them all, but uh, certainly there were a lot of them. And as I read these verses and studied them and meditated on them and prayed on them, four themes came out of, of these collective verses and proverbs. And those four factors of biblical friendship from the Proverbs are character, consistency, counsel, and correction. I'll repeat those. Character, consistency, counsel, and correction. Let's go into this first factor of character. This really describes the fundamental first step in many ways of how we choose our friends in many cases. Now, of course, God does provide some friends to us very providentially. There may be people that just happen to cross our paths and we just strike it up and things like that happen. Of course, uh, you know, God chooses our family that we're born into and, you know, those are relationships that were kind of there for us. Uh, a lot of times we might have friendships wherever we might tend to work, uh, you know, a job that we take. So some of these friendships do happen kind of providentially and maybe, maybe not a whole lot of thought goes into it. But by and large, in most cases, we tend to choose our friends, right? And, you know, what we, we choose to seek out certain people. We, we choose to spend time with them, to cultivate a relationship with them, to bond with them. Uh, and and many, in many cases, these choices that we make, these are the people who become our friends. So then a natural question arises, I think, how are we choosing our friends? 
I mean, it, ideally, just as we go through everything in life, it ought to be at least a somewhat thoughtful and intentional question that we ask ourselves because our entire life is a stewardship from God, you know, whether it's uh, the use of our money, the use of our time, or even the relationships that we choose to invest in. And we're accountable for all of it. We know that from Scripture, that we're accountable for things like our time and our stewardship and our choices. So, as this very practical book, Proverbs talks about who we should seek out as friends. And when I describe this person, I don't think it should surprise you that we should be seeking out friends of good character. Example, uh, uh, we, we should be seeking out the good and righteous person. Proverbs 2 verse 20 states, So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. So again, that's, it's kind of, you know, almost seems kind of obvious, right? But these are the types of people we should be seeking out for friends. We're told to seek out the wise. Proverbs 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So wise friends are certainly good friends to seek out. Humble friends. Let's look at Proverbs 16, 19. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Again, these are, these are classic biblical virtues, and, and these are the types of people that we're told to seek out for friendship. Let me give you a fourth one. The pure of heart and the gracious of speech would be another person. Proverbs 22.11 states, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king even is his friend. So again, when we we think about the type of person to seek out for friendship, we're, we're talking about a person of high character. And again, this is kind of an obvious point in some ways, right? It just kind of, it makes sense to us. I mean, think about like Pastor John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or Al Mohler. I mean, who wouldn't really leap at the chance to be friends with men like that? Again, once again, I want to, it's kind of, it kind of resonates with our God-given consciences that this makes sense, that seeking friends of good character, it's sound advice for anyone. But I think it's interesting because the Proverbs are even more clear and spend even more time talking about people not to be friends with. People to avoid, if you will. And again, I don't mean to be kind of duh obvious, but the Proverbs talk about avoiding people of bad character. Let's look at some of the verses that uh, you know, the Proverbs reference. One, one type of person would be very clear, the wicked or the evil. Proverbs 24, verses 1 and 2. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their minds devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. And there are very many, many more. There's just one proverb, but on this topic, there's so many other proverbs I could go into, uh, you know, just in terms of that concept of avoiding evil. Let's look at Proverbs 5, verse 8, talking about the adulteress, or by extension, the adulterer. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. And again, there are just there, there's chapters in Proverbs that talk about avoiding the adulterer. Another person to avoid, according to the Proverbs, would be the gossip. Proverbs 20, verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. Do not associate with a gossip. And again, there are other verses in the Proverbs that talk about gossip. Another person, and again, this is very common. I've got a, there's a different uh, sermon I've preached on the topic of the fool. Proverbs 14, verse 7. Leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. And again, there's many, many more verses on the topic of the fool in Proverbs. 
Another type of person that the Proverbs would call us to avoid would be the proud. Proverbs 16, verse 19. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Another type of person would be the violent or the angry. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. So again, just this almost like a long list of what the Proverbs are telling us is wisdom in terms of what to avoid. We also have the drunkard or the glutton. Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. Do not be with, again, it's this type of language, do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. And uh, finally, for this section, we'll talk about the rebel. Proverbs 24, verses 21 and 22. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those who are given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that comes from both of them. So again, this is something to think about, uh, not only, I mean, just even as we think about recent uh, protests, uh, you know, that have been gone throughout the country, this might be something to consider. Now, Again, the scriptures say to actively avoid these people. They are very clear. Do not associate with, leave the presence of, keep your way far from, or do not be with. This is the type of language that the Proverbs would tell us is wisdom. Now, I have to make a very important, very critical distinction here, and that is the distinction for evangelism. Because, of course, you know, for the unsaved... You know, by, by definition, they're going to, in many cases, exemplify a lot of these traits. That doesn't mean we shouldn't evangelize. We have to give the gospel because w- we can't look down on them because such were, once, such were we at one time. Amen? So, so we have to give the gospel. But the distinction that these Proverbs bring out, I believe, is that as you study these Proverbs, the distinction is we certainly extend love and mercy and grace in the gospel. We certainly want to reach out to the unsaved and the lost. And yes, there but for the grace of God go we. But that's a very far cry from becoming their close and intimate friend in many cases. And again, if we look at these Proverbs and these scriptures, that we have to be very careful in making that type of decision. And again, I think this is something that is very clear from these Proverbs and it's just something that we need to be on guard against. So again, all of this discussion brings us back to the question of how we choose our friends. You know, when when you're young, your parents may have helped you choose your friends, right? Like, oh, stay away from that kid. He's he's bad news versus, you know, I really like that boy. You know, this is kind of a different attitude, uh, you know, when you're a parent trying to, you know, parent a child. But then as you grew older, you started making those calls yourself. So that's my question to you. How are you making those decisions? Is it whoever you happen to be around or by happenstance? Is it whoever you might end up going to a movie or a ball game with? How intentional are you in this area of your life? Now, again, I need to clarify, I'm not saying that you should have to be this cold and mercenary person. It's like, oh, he doesn't make the cut. She doesn't make the cut. You know, that, that's not what I'm talking about here. My question is really the other type of question. It's like, are you putting any thought at all into this area of life? Are you choosing to cultivate friendships with people of good character, and do you strive generally to avoid people of bad character? And if you're trying to evangelize someone, are you actually evangelizing? And and that's, again, that's a heart check for anyone, I think. That's one I have to ask myself all the time. It's like, am I keeping the gospel present in my mind as I'm associating with or, you know, even befriending some of these, you know, people that maybe, you know, not what the Proverbs would, would call me to? 
And then again, another question, once you've chosen your friends, how do you spend your time together? There's nothing at all wrong with doing fun things. I love doing fun things, but if you're honest with yourself and stack up the time you spend with your friends on maybe frivolous things or fun things versus kind of more lasting things, lasting things of the Lord or kingdom things, which is greater? Again, this is just some food for thought. It's, it's not intended to be condemning or anything like that. It's really just, it's a heart check for you to ask yourself, hey, how am I doing these things? And really, even more than kind of looking at your friend's character through, through a microscope or anything like that, it's even more important to look at your own character to see if you're being a good friend. That's so critical because that's really my goal here. It's not necessarily to strain at gnats or to looking for specks in your friend's eyes. It's really to look at ourselves and to do the heart check. And you'll find something else that's really interesting. If you're genuinely striving for righteousness and holiness and aren't afraid to stand against sin, you're going to notice that oftentimes your friends of bad character, they're going to tend to melt away anyway. Because a lot of times when they, they just, the unholy cannot tolerate a desire for holiness. So that's our first factor today, is the first factor of friendship would be character. Our second factor of friendship is consistency. Now, you've heard the term fair-weather friend before, I imagine, and you compare that to the friend that's going to be your friend through thick and thin. You know, one comment is derogatory, one comment is complimentary. One is fickle, one is faithful. These old sayings that we hear in the world they, they echo this biblical principle of consistency because that's really the concept is that a true friend should be consistent in your life and vice versa. Let's look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. All times. And you see, a friend who loves at all times is compared favorably even to a blood brother here. Because, you know, your blood brother, you know, oftentimes maybe they're around when trouble arises, and that's great, but it may be that your blood brother isn't taking an active role in your day-to-day life. Maybe they're separated by quite a bit of distance from your family, or maybe some kind of sibling rivalry developed, or perhaps uh, there may be even a major spiritual rift with your blood relatives due to the fact that you follow the Lord and they refuse to do so, you know. But in contrast... A true friend who you've chosen and developed and cultivated, who's actively involved in your life, people in your own church as a prime example, that's someone who will ideally love you at all times. And you know, again, maybe your siblings are your true friends and maybe they are involved in this way, and if so, praise God. But the proverbial concept of consistency in friendship is built upon the notion that a friend, a true friend, a biblical friend will be there for you no matter what. Let's look at Proverbs 27.10. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. Here we see that friendship is really a two-way street. It's not just about them being constant in your life. This also shows that we need to be faithful in their lives, that we do not forsake your own friend. This verse shows how we need to reciprocate to be consistent in their lives and mindful of how we can be trying to bless our friends as well. And again, we see how this close and constant friend is compared favorably even to a blood brother in this proverb. Especially, again, if that brother is physically distant while your friends might potentially be here in your midst. Let's look at Proverbs 18, verse 24. 
A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Again, for the third time, we see here that a friend can be compared favorably even to a blood brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This proverb is very powerful, and again, it's convicting to me in some ways because it praises the cultivation of close and intimate friends rather than the scattershot approach of having many friends who aren't necessarily deep or consistent. It's better to have, according to this proverb, a fewer number of close and consistent friends. And in fact, it even says that having too many friends can bring you to ruin. Now, now that's a strong word, but the truth is that you can spread yourself far too thin sometimes if you have far too many friends. And ultimately, you might be that fair-weather friend that we talked about at the beginning of this point, when the, when the time comes and when it really counts. You might be risking the wasting away of all of your time on kind of frivolous things, potentially. And most of all, you might be neglecting the closer, more intimate friendships that you really need, as we'll see in the third and fourth factors that come shortly. But before we get to those third and fourth factors, you know, the thing about Proverbs, one of the things that I love is that, you know, Proverbs, it talks about this concept of not straying too far to the left or to the right. Uh, you know, basically, you can kind of go down this narrow path without necessarily falling to one extreme. And the Proverbs also has warnings about this type of behavior. Uh, let's read Proverbs 25, verse 17. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house or he will become weary of you and hate you. I mean, again, it's one of these kind of succinct, pithy sayings that can be almost a little amusing, right? But this talks about the danger of being a constant presence sometimes. And, you know, I think it's something that we have to be aware of, that sometimes there's a thin line between hospitality and imposition, right? And this proverb talks about a person that may be overstaying his or her welcome. And I think that's why it's really helpful just to have a level of social awareness and, and, you know, even seeking other people out for their viewpoint on things can be helpful. Todd or any of the other leaders here might be able to give you an opinion on things like that. And, you know, it's, it's really, you know, this proverb emphasizes not just letting your friends always be sacrificial in giving, but we need to make sure that we're also, even as we enjoy others' hospitality, that we ourselves are obeying the biblical command to show hospitality. So again, it's this balance in the Proverbs about not straying too far to the left or to the right. Now again, I want to reiterate, this is wisdom literature, and it's a case-by-case basis. And some people you know, I don't doubt that so there's some people even in this church who just, they just love to show hospitality all the time. And, you know, they, they offer it out to, to people effusively and, uh, you know, let you always know, they go bend over backwards to let you know that you're very welcome. So, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about a situation like that. But again, by and large, this is something, this proverb tells us, this is something we need to be mindful of. Another proverb that talks about this balance about, you know, kind of being um, careful about uh, how consistent you are, and that's in the area of even financial need. Let's look at Proverbs 19.7. All the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends abandon him? He pursues them with words, but they are gone. Again, this is kind of this pithy, almost amusing proverb, and it shows that sometimes there's a thin line between humbly admitting a genuine need and perhaps presumptuously expecting to be blessed. Again, it's an important balance. This proverb talks about verbally expressing constant financial needs. And we need to remember that the Bible also talks about we're still all called to work. If you don't work, you don't eat, right? And to provide for our own household, that that's an important critical concept. If we don't provide for our, the members of our own household, that we're worse than an unbeliever. So, of course, again, you know, 
this is wisdom literature. I'm not trying to make it a black and white thing. It's unavoidable that needs may arise for anyone, right? We're all finite human beings with limited capacity. And, and so when that happens, you know, of course, if we humble ourselves and seek help, then praise the Lord. That, that's, that's so critical. In those situations, though, you might also be careful to remember one thing that can be very helpful is just to be really conscious and cognizant about expressing gratitude, you know, that, that's such an important thing. Is just, uh, I think that spirit of gratitude and joy is, is such a common characteristic in believers. And that's, it's really, uh, if I could give you even a practical tip, I think sometimes in some ways, especially in this increasingly connected world, uh, it's almost like writing a thank you card is a slowly dying art almost. And so, but it can be really special just to receive a very sweet thank you card from someone. That can be very meaningful. And uh, I know that uh, in terms of, especially in situations where there's needs, you know, I, I've really appreciated that and I've appreciated the other, you know, both ways in terms of just expressing that and receiving that. And I just think that it's, uh, it can be such a wonderful way of just a tangible expression of love and care for someone and gratitude, because ultimately all of our gratitude is to the Lord because he gives us everything. And again, once again, I, I want to say that this is a case-by-case -case situation. Some people just love to be joyful givers, just like some people love to offer hospitality. And, you know, in those cases, praise the Lord. That's, that's such a wonderful thing. And it's helpful, again, just to have a level of awareness in that regard. So that's the second factor of friendship is consistency. We move on now to our third factor of friendship, and that is counsel. So just recap again briefly, the first factor of friendship is character, the second factor of friendship is consistency, and now the third factor of friendship is counsel. Let's look at Proverbs 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. You know, this is just a very straightforward proverb, and that's one thing that makes friendship so sweet and so important is the exchange of counsel. The concept here that this proverb is expressing is teachability. And that's another area just where I've studied in the Proverbs. It's a real joy, but it's so clear that the overwhelming weight of Scripture, the overwhelming weight of Proverbs says that we really need to pursue and chase after counsel in our lives, to seek counsel, and that's a key to teachability. That's a key to living the Christian life. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. And the same concept is repeated in Proverbs 13.10, Proverbs 15.22, Proverbs 20.18, and Proverbs 24.6. Now, you're well taught, I trust you know that what repetition in the Bible means, right? It, it means a sense of emphasis, so when you have a repetition two times or three times, it's stronger and stronger, but five times. I mean, there, there's only 915 total verses in the Proverbs. And God has a reason, had a reason for putting every single verse in the way, that, the way that he did. And yet five times out of that 915 verses, it talks about the critical importance of seeking counsel in the book of Proverbs. And on the flip side, we have very dire warnings in Proverbs to people who do not seek counsel. Let's look at Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And Proverbs 16, 25 is a verbatim copy of that verse. It's verbatim, the same thing. Again, so there's that concept of repetition and, and emphasis. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 18, 1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. 
It's really, I think this proverb really strikes at the heart of so-called would-be Lone Ranger Christians, right? And all of these verses in the Proverbs that talk about this, it shows the folly of people who do not seek out counsel. But again, as we saw earlier, in contrast, those who do seek counsel achieve victory. And that counsel is such an important part of friendship. It's, it's one of the very reasons that we have friends. You know, you, you, if you, we go back to our first point of character, the character of our friends, one of the reasons that that's so important one of the reasons we're told to seek out the wise and to avoid the fool is because of this key factor of counsel. I mean, the last thing you want is counsel from a fool, right? And in contrast, counsel from a wise friend who lives on the rock of God's word, that counsel will truly be a blessing to you. So when you're surrounded by wise friends and their godly counsel, like undoubtedly you are at this church, I know, you'll be living out Proverbs eleven fourteen. in abundance of counselors, there is victory. And I want to be clear that this is very important. I would urge you and call you to be seeking out counsel from your friends. In other words, you need to ask them for it. Hey, what do you think about this? You know, hey, I'd love some advice about this. Or, you know, what's your perspective? Because a lot of times, especially if you're dealing with a humble person, they, they, may not, they, they may feel somewhat hesitant to offer you unsolicited counsel. And, and it's also important, I think, you know, to, to seek out this counsel before you make a decision. A lot of times people kind of, are, they're, they're looking for affirmation after the fact, after they've made a decision. They're looking for an attaboy or an attagirl. You know, but, but maybe seeking out that counsel before you make the decision is so much more helpful. And again, whether you give counsel or receive counsel, make sure it's from the Word of God. E- even chapter and verse, you know, I think it's helpful sometimes to just be aware, okay, why am I, ma- why am I giving this advice? Because so often our flesh tends to, tends to cause us to give just kind of worldly advice or what we think is right or advice from our own experience, but it's just helpful to ground ourselves in what does the Word of God say about this? And, and it's just such a helpful exercise in giving godly, wise counsel. Now, I talked in point two about uh, how the Proverbs, again, there's a flip side, you know, there's a left and a right, uh, you know, just uh, there's extremes when it comes to counsel. I think there's also a downside to, uh, I mean, there's a flip side when it comes to consistency, point two, but there's also a flip side when it comes to counsel, or rather certain types of counsel. Let's read Proverbs 29, 5. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. I mean, look, we all, we all know people who engage in flattery, you know, shameless compliments that are so over the top it might even cause you to do a double take. Uh, you know, one I've heard it said is uh, flattery can be something that a person will say to your face, but they'll never say to anyone else, you know, would be one example. I've heard that kind of used as an example. Maybe it's someone who only ever affirms everything that you do, never gives you any counsel that that person thinks you may not like. Uh, you know, again, uh, we're not looking for yes men or yes women. I mean, counsel like that, flattery like that, it's unhelpful because all it does is build up your pride. And over time, you may even learn, okay, maybe maybe not to put as much trust in that person's opinion. And indeed, indeed, if we look at Proverbs 29.5, sometimes it says that that flatterer may even have a bad motive. Spreading a net for his steps is what this proverb says. And maybe that person's trying to get into your good graces so that maybe you'll do what the flatterer wants as one possibility. 
So again, I just want to, don't be seeking affirmation merely for a decision that you've already made. Because oftentimes, you're just looking for a pat on the back or flattery, and that's not helpful. We should be seeking honest counsel before we make a decision. So that's the third how of friendship, counsel. Our fourth factor of friendship is correction. And this is the thing, when you get into a habit of seeking and offering counsel to your friends, it's usually not long afterward that you get into this fourth factor of friendship, of correction. It's, I really would call this the gold standard, almost, of friendship, because it's tough, right? It's hard. And often, only the very closest of friends will dare to tread there. You know, I think that's often the practical reality that we experience but it doesn't have to be that way. And it really, biblically, I, I think it shouldn't be that way because Proverbs shows how blessed this fourth factor of friendship is, of correction. Let me read to you Proverbs 27, 6, which is our memory verse for next week. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. This verse tells us a great truth, and it's one that we need to repeat to ourselves over and over and over again because our flesh rebels against it. Our flesh kicks against it. When a person of character, especially one who's been consistent in your life as a friend, and a counselor even in your life perhaps, when, when that friend actually offers you correction, that's meaningful. This proverb says that friend is being faithful to you by correcting you, even, even if it maybe hurts a little bit, e- even if it might wound you. That trusted friend who's consistently proven himself He or she wants your best. He he wants you to improve. He wants you to grow in Christ-likeness. He wants to see you prosper, both materially and spiritually. He he has your best interests at heart. Now, Proverbs is a practical book, so let's consider a practical example. Let's say you're organizing a big event at church or at work or even in your own personal life, and you've got a guest who's loudly complaining to everyone about how every single problem that guest sees You know, it's probably a safe bet that that person isn't necessarily being a very good friend in that moment. But contrast that with a friend of yours who maybe comes up to you privately before the event and says, hey, you you may want to make sure the water pitchers are filled up. You know, it's a very different thing, right? That's that's a different kind of attitude. It's a different situation. Or what if you had an important meeting coming up? Wouldn't you want to know if you've, you know, got stuff in your teeth? Or, Or if you've, you know, maybe what you're wearing doesn't look that great, even if there's some momentary embarrassment in that moment, you know, I, I would still want to know, wouldn't you? Faithful are the wounds of a friend far better than kisses of an enemy. And again, it's way better than someone who just maybe flatters and affirms you all the time, no matter what. You know, a flatterer does you no good in that sense. It only gives you a false impression of yourself. It's humility that we want. You want the faithful friend who has the courage to bring a correction. Now, that was one example I gave. It was a kind of, uh, you know, maybe not as important, uh, you know, maybe less important example of party planning. But how much more important are friends who will correct you spiritually? Let's read Proverbs 28, 23. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Once again, it's this kind of concept. This concept is repeated. This proverb is very similar to the last one. It's such an important concept, but this time we're talking about even something a little stronger. We're talking about a rebuke here, a strong correction. 
maybe even a sharper correction. So it's probably not just something stuck in your teeth here, right? But again, these strong rebukes can be so important because these are the types of things that can help us grow. I'll give you another story. Uh, one time, uh, me and a number of other people a number of years ago were trying to together organize a retreat for our group at church. And, uh, you know, the retreat team leader, she was this dear gal, she, she had just spent dozens of hours working on this retreat. So toward the end of our planning, there was another sweet gal who was really sent an email to the rest of the team minus her saying, hey, you know, Steph has done so much work for this. Uh, you know, what do we, why don't we see about getting a gift for her? Well, a number of days passed, and uh, there was one reply out of a large group of people uh, from a guy who happened to be on an STM at the time. So after a little more time passed, that same gal followed up and said, hey, everyone's active on this email list. I know we've been planning all over the place. How is it that the only one person replying to this question about a gift for a leader is a guy who's not even in the country? Well, the result of that was a flood of replies and uh, certainly a very nice gift for a retreat team leader. And, but, you know, it was, it was a helpful, righteous correction that this gal brought. You know, it's like, it just, it's like wow, we need to, you know, it's just like, let's show some gratitude to this gal who's been serving us so, so faithfully. And, uh, you know, let's not just uh, kind of let it be lost in the, in the rush. Here's another proverb, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I mean, that's really the Christian life, right? We're practicing the one another's with one another. We're, 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 we are our brother's keeper. You know, that, that's, that's iron sharpening iron. That's our daily walk. Christians counseling one another, correcting one another, gently and lovingly, yes, but actually and intentionally and in reality. So that's the question. Are we living our lives in a way that is open to or even invites correction and rebuke? Have we asked our close friends? Have we even pleaded with them? Please do this with us. I mean, I know everyone here wants to grow spiritually. We all say that we want to grow spiritually, but do we really mean it? God provides the body of Christ to help us grow. That's one of the vehicles, one of the critical vehicles that God uses. And one of those ways is by friends who can correct you. I mean, don't you want that? Don't you want to be as sharp of a tool as possible for the Lord? You know, this is one area where I'm so grateful for my friend Todd. I just, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about a ton of stuff, and, you know, we are so like-minded and unified on so many different things, you know, but even on those rare occasions where we have a disagreement about something, I know that Todd is a godly man who is intelligent, he's brilliant, and, and just is able to, you know, even if I might disagree with him on a point, he can explain why he believes something. And whether I come to an agreement with him on that point or not, just the fact that a godly, intelligent man can explain a situation, it's so helpful for me. And, and just, I love that relationship that we have. And, you know, even other times, like, I remember one time he just was able to tell me privately, it's like, hey, brother, you know, are you sure about that? You know, is your heart right? And he was right, because even though it was a matter of preference that we were disagreeing on, my heart wasn't right about this other side of the argument. And, you know, it was so helpful to me to understand that and to realize that, and I had to kind of correct my own heart. So thank you, Todd. You know, it's just, and this is a pastor who loves you guys. He, you, just to hear him talk about you, to talk about this congregation, he, he, he wants your best, he wants your spiritual growth. So don't be afraid to, come, to go up to him and ask his opinion or his, ask for his counsel or to even invite him to offer correction into your life 
if that happens. It's, this, this is exactly the type of faithful person that we want involved in our lives. Now, again, as with these other factors, if talking about not straying too far to the left or the right, there's also a warning on correction. Sometimes you can go too far with it. And the wisdom of Proverbs tells us exactly how far is too far. Let's look at Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. This is so important. You know, if, if, again, in my, I've experienced it's relatively rare, unfortunately, even though I certainly would love it more. You know, it's relatively rare, rare when someone actually has that courage to bring a correction. But once you've had the courage to bring a correction to someone else, you've already been faithful. You've done your part. And just like evangelism, you're not responsible for that other person's response, right? You're not responsible for the result. All we can do is be faithful to evangelize or be faithful maybe to bring a correction, you know? And the other person's response, that's on him. That's between him and the Lord. And look, your friend may not respond well. I know I sometimes don't always respond well. It's, you know, sometimes it may be pride. Maybe that that person just doesn't see things like that right now. Maybe that person's just having a bad day. Or it could even be that maybe your correction is, is uh, incomplete. It, maybe it doesn't have all of the facts. Maybe your correction is mistaken. But regardless of what the reason is, you don't have to argue with your friend about it. You don't have to, as this proverb says, let strife flow out like water. Listen to this proverb. Just abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. It's like, hey, you know, this is just my perspective. I could be wrong. You know, if you want, maybe you can think about it and pray about it, but you don't have to get into a fight about it. It's not your job to convict your friend of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And again, answering earnest questions that are asked is fine. Having a dialogue about it, if your friend seems open, that's totally fine. But this proverb says you don't have to, make, you don't have to get into an argument about it. And I think remembering Proverbs 18, 19 is helpful in this regard. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. If you get too much into this kind of argumentative mindset, it could really offend someone, and it might be hard to win back your friend. I also want to recall our attention to Proverbs 28, 23. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor. Sometimes it takes a person a little while to even see the point of your correction. Maybe that person will kind of think about it and come back to you later and say, you know what, I think there, there is some validity to what you said. Or maybe that friend will never talk about it again, but again, just to remember, just by bringing the correction, you've done your job. Remember the book of Ezekiel in chapter 3 and chapter 33, the watchman on the wall gives a warning and then he's discharged his responsibility. It's up to the people to heed that warning or not. I mean, again, we've talked about how your friend might react to your correction, but I also want to focus again on how you can react when others correct you. Because, again, it's, it's our own heart work that's the most important. At uh, Grace Community Church, we have a membership covenant, and, uh, you know, every, every month on a Sunday night, usually at a night service, you see people taking the right hand of fellowship, we call it, and, uh, you know, in the part of that covenant, uh, all of us in the congregation agree, and, and the people that are becoming new members agree, that we will humbly give and receive admonition and correction. So that's a question for you. Again, it's just for your own heart. When you receive a correction, do you react defensively or do you react humbly? Are you angry 
about receiving that correction? Or are you thankful that someone actually has the courage and the care for you to bring it? Or maybe do you act thankful in the service but kind of stew internally and have a grudge? Prayerfully not. Prayerfully you won't distance yourself from that friendship even when the Proverbs say that that person is just trying to be a good friend to you. I mean, it's scripture that tells us what a good friend is. It's not about what our feelings and emotions and what this self-centered, worldly attitude is about everybody, oh, self-esteem, and uh, just if a person doesn't make you feel good, then they're not worth it. That's the worldly attitude. And our Jeremiah 17, 9 hearts are deceitful above all things, and we, sometimes we can fall into a trap of starting to believe that stuff. It can poison our minds if we're not careful. So those are the four factors of friendship. Character, consistency, counsel, and correction. But I have to say, even if you have all four of those factors, you still don't necessarily have a true biblical friendship. You know, it's, it's like, Han, you spent this whole time talking about uh, the four factors of friendship that still may not be enough. Well, yeah, let me give you an example. Think about, the, think about a presidential cabinet. That's a thing on many people's minds right now, right? Uh, there's a guy, General Mad Dog Mattis, and uh, by all accounts, uh, just from all of his troops, all the men under him, you know, he is a man of character. And, you know, when he's advising President Trump, uh, you know, undoubtedly he'll be doing that with consistency. They're going to be having regular meetings, and he's going to be offering counsel. And there are times where I, I don't doubt that General Mad Dog Mattis, you don't get a name like Mad Dog, he, you know, I'm sure that there will be times when he will offer correction to President Trump. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be close confidants or friends. There's one more key element to a true and genuine biblical friendship. And I could make that point from Proverbs, but I think elsewhere is better. And that's a fifth factor, which is really the foundation of everything we do, and that is Christ. If you really want the true definition of friendship, turn with me to John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. John 15, verses 12 through 15 states as follows. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. The missing element that turns even maybe a trusted counselor, even maybe a confidant, into a true and genuine and loving friend is a relationship in Jesus Christ. I mean, especially when we're talking about a bottle, local body of believers right here, the love of Christ is what makes a true friendship. There, there, and we see that because we have no greater friend than Jesus Christ. You know, as I said at the start, anyone... Uh, whether saved or unsaved, could probably try to live out the Proverbs in their life and have an externally very successful life. You could gain good friends. You could gain respect. You could gain a sense of honor from people. You could have a loving family. You could even potentially gain great riches. But as it says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That's the truth of the gospel is that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven to live in the form of a man, of a bondservant. 
just suffering all kinds of abuse and scorn and opposition to the point where he's even crucified the most agonizing form of death known. Taking upon himself all the sins of those who would ever repent and believe in Christ. And then he was buried. And three days later he was raised showing his victory over sin and death. That is our greatest friend, is Jesus Christ. And if we want to have genuine, loving friendships in Christ, that is what we need. We need Christ. We need his gospel. And that's how we can be true friends to one another. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your scriptures. We're so grateful for how clear they are, for how helpful they are how they're so full of wisdom. We're so grateful for the gospel, the truth of the gospel and how we can be saved, Lord, how sinful human beings can be made right with you, Lord. And Father, as we just reflect on this, as we reflect on what the Proverbs say about how we can be better friends to other people, again, uh, so much more important to be asking ourselves the question of how we can be better friends rather than trying to look at the specks in other people's eyes, perhaps. But at the same time, as we try to live this out, I just pray that we would always remember that at the root of all of it is Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.